Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Praise God for a new day. Isn't that right? <laughs> um, I wanted to just share something real quick. I was thumbing through uh, the first chapter of Deuteronomy this morning, and and I found something interesting, and I, and I, I believe that the Lord, uh, you know, revealed some truth to me in His Word concerning just the church and the contemporary model of the church that we, we, we have here uh, in America as far as the church got to grow. You got to grow the church. You got to do whatever you can do to, to, to fill the seats. Um, and it, it's, it's dealing with when uh, Moses was kind of understanding. He's trying to, uh, he's being used by the Lord and he's trying to prepare uh, the Israelites to go into the land that the Lord has promised them. But Moses understands that that burden is heavy because the Lord already fulfilled his promise of multiplying the nation of Israel. So there's a lot of people, right? There's, there's 12 tribes, and within those tribes are many people. There, Moses understands I'm one person. There's no way that I can fully take the burden of all these people. And so he is led to appoint leaders of every tribe. He's led to leave uh, to appoint men that, that are wise, have understanding and experience. And I'll just read a, a, a verse or two, starting in verse uh, 13. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, set them up as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens. I'll stop there. What I believe the Lord revealed to me, and I'm probably preaching to the choir because you guys already understand this, because you guys are wise and you study the word of God on your own. But it's not a numbers game. It's a maturing in faith game. It's a building disciples game. And again, this is a testament to a church of this size. It's not about the magnitude because you can have many people far and wide from left to right that fill a football stadium. But if their maturity and their faith in Christ is millimeter deep, what's the point? But if you have a handful of people who have been picked by the Lord being groomed continuously. You have to determine in your own life, look back upon your life. Do you see the marks of maturity in your life spiritually? Do you see the marks of people around you that you fellowship with on a regular basis that you call your home church growing in maturity in faith in Christ? That is the mark. That is a clear marking and indication of the true church. And so that's just an encouraging word. I hope that's for you that if this is where the Lord calls you as your home church, know that, that that's what the Lord is looking at. Yes, we're called to share the word of God and, and make, uh, you know, make disciples to the ends of the earth. What that really breaks down to, look at your sphere of influence. If you're not called to go to Africa or China or Israel or you know, Istanbul, then you're not called to go there. If you're not called to go to Nebraska, how can you minister there? Yes, you can use the internet and all that. But your sphere of influence, that is the most important. There's people in your sphere of influence 
that I'm never going to be able to influence because I'm just not there. You're there in that specific place in that specific, for that specific purpose. And so that's what the Lord wants to do in and through your life. So again, I hope you find that encouraging to know that it is the depth of your maturity in Christ what makes the difference. That is the true church. That is a true disciple. It's not about just filling seats for the sake of filling seats. Because again, as you've all been told many for many years, whatever you bring people in with, you're going to keep them there with. So that's why we don't do ponies. And that's why we don't do all those other little fancy gimmicks, gimmicks and gadgets, because uh, that's what we, what we would need to do to keep people here uh, at this part of the body. So with that, we're going to continue on in Acts chapter 23. And uh, we'll be going through verses 12 through 22. So when you get there, if you please would stand uh, for a brief moment while we read the word of God. <clears throat> And it's getting, it's getting thick, it's getting, it's getting deep, it's getting hairy as normal. We find Paul in another peculiar situation, maybe even not peculiar. This is just uh, the reality of the Christian life as we all have come to, to understand. It's through adversity that we are made more like the image of Jesus Christ. So we'll go ahead and begin starting in verse 12. And it says, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to nor nor eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And when, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is that that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him, but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him. We have bound <coughs> who have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you. And again, we are just uh, thankful that we can, Lord, have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that as we see in this text and as all of the scripture shows and reveals to us time and time again, you are faithful and you provide a, a means of escape. You, you protect and cover your people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Show us how this is applicable to our lives this instant and how we can benefit from falling 
under your submission and being obedient to you and your will for our lives. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this is, uh, I mean, this is intense. As you continue going on and reading in this chapter, I mean, it is getting gnarly. There is just a lot going on here with Paul and the things that are coming against him. Last week, we, we heard Paul address the Sanhedrin, right? The high priest didn't like it. Ananias ordered to have him struck. He was smitten. And now it's this situation. Paul spoke up against the unfair treatment and that he shared that he was once a Pharisee. Now the council, the Sanhedrin, is divided. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're at odds with one another because some believe that Paul may have heard from an angel and hear him out. The others have want nothing to do with him. They want him dead. They want him gone. So because of this and this, this, this high tension that was going on, Paul had to be escorted out by the Roman guards for fear that he would be killed. While this was going on, right, so simultaneously there was something else brewing, not uh, with the council. There were others who, whether they were frustrated with Paul, they were angry with him, or they were disappointed in what he was sharing, the reality was they, they didn't like the truth that Paul spoke. They wanted to hold on to their current way of life, the way that they grew accustomed to living. They did not want to change. They didn't like the truth that Paul spoke. And so they were looking for a way to get rid of Paul, looking for a way to get rid of him for good, to have him have his head on the chopping block, so to speak. So because of that, we see this intent of these people, the intent of these men. We're really going to naturally look at what's in the heart of all men and women since the fall. I think Michelle alluded to this last week, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Many of you are familiar with this verse. The heart of men is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it? We see this exact kind of depravity in the hearts of those who were plotting Paul's downfall. As we see, these individuals were bent on sending Paul to the grave. And it was so much so that they made an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. I mean, if you think about it, that's some, that's some seriously unhealthy obsession to vow that I'm not going to eat or drink until this task is accomplished. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to eat or drink anything until I shed these, these, these two pounds. I'm going to stay on the treadmill until I can burn off these calories and then I'll eat or drink something. But no, these men were not trying to get slim fit. They were trying to eradicate someone's life from the face of the earth. But despite the hate that seemed to consistently follow after Paul, he was constantly protected by the Lord. And God always provides a way of escape. Physically, this will always be the case unless the Lord allows physical harm. Some people go down that, that rabbit hole with God and say, well, if you're if you're so righteous and holy, then why did you allow my, my sister to die in, in, in a car crash? Or why did you allow my child to, to get ill to the point of death? Again, that's a misconstrued understanding of God's sovereignty. 
Unfortunately, because of sin, things like that, occurrences do happen. There will be times in the believer's life where physical harm may come to you. That's God allowed it. There's going to be other times where physical harm may not come to you and you may escape death again because God has appointed that is not the time for you. The main thing to take away from this is even if you suffer, suffer, excuse me, physical harm, as long as you are in Jesus Christ and he in you, your soul can never be affected by the attacks of the enemy. Your soul, the most important part of you. We all know that this, I alluded to it last week, right? This frame that we're in, I don't care how much you work out. I don't care how much you dye your hair. I don't care how much perfume you put on or cologne you put on to smell nice. We are rotting corpses, right? It's, that may be a drab way to look at it, but that is the reality. Keep it real. You can't look like Dolly Parton forever. You just can't. And I don't, I'm not trying to bash on her, but I'm just saying. You're going to get wrinkles. You're going to get gray hair. I don't care how much you work out. At some point, your, your skin is going to start to sag. That is, that is just, unfortunately, part of the natural aging process of the physical body living in a fallen world of sin. But your soul, your soul, the most important part of your being in Christ Jesus can never be hindered or touched by the enemy. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 tells us, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And again, that, that, that deep understanding and, and appreciation and reverent uh, respect and fear for Almighty God because of who He is, because of what He holds in His hands, right? We're aware, right? This, this, this beautiful place that we are not to neglect and we're trying to, to keep nice and you got environmentalists doing this and that and save the whales and do this and that. We know that the Bible says that this is His footstool, right? This is footstool. That's not to neglect the earth, but again, we need to put it in its proper perspective. If it's His footstool, that means that there's something far more and far greater for him, uh, for his people once we leave this place. Okay, there are several main points that we uh, are going to go over this morning. And the first one is this. Nothing will satisfy other than Jesus Christ. These men, these men were deceived in their thinking. They thought if they got rid of Paul, that their problems would magically disappear. But their problem was actually their deceived hearts. They couldn't see the truth for what it is. They believed that by protecting and preserving their way of life unto death, that that was going to satisfy them. They didn't want to change their way of thinking. They didn't want to change their way of living. They saw someone that came in and told them something contrary to what they believed. So to them, we'll eradicate the situation. We'll get rid of them. We'll kill them, and then we can move on with the way we live, and we'll be okay. If you think about it, or when I was think about, thinking about it, I should say, this kind of reminded me of the whole situation with David and Bathsheba and Uriah, right? In, 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 in the fog of David's lust, he figured if he just put Uriah out, if he had him murdered and out of the picture, he could just ride off into the sunset with Bathsheba and everything would be well. Well, we all know that was not so true. He wasn't satisfied with his adulterous relationship 
and he didn't get away with the murder of Uriah. And I'm sure if you look at your own life, and you look at your own experiences, you can attest to the reality that the Bible is clear. Be sure your sin will find you out. At some point in time, if we do something in secret, which is anything done in secret really is probably wrong because the fact that we have to do it in secret in the first place. If you can't openly conduct yourself in a manner to say, oh, I'd like to purchase this, or I'd like to do this, or I'd like to go there. If we're doing those things in secret, at some point, it's going to come out. And it's going to come out, it's going to come out at the most unopportune time for us, where shame will probably be followed, embarrassment will probably be followed. But the most important thing, hopefully, we will remember that we should repent Get right with the Lord, dust ourselves off, and get back up. That's the difference between believers and someone that cannot handle those things. Those things will cause a person to ultimately go the wrong way, and it won't be good for them. An example of this kind of false satisfaction in regards to uh, the murder of someone or, or, or killing someone or the death of someone Many times when a victim of a family, someone is killed or someone's been murdered and the family, they finally receive the news that the verdict of this person that committed this heinous crime is guilty and the sentence is either life in prison or death. Many think that they will be relieved and satisfied. That might be so for a season in time. But the reality is, as difficult as that situation is, having a family member taken from this life because of murder, their life cut short in that manner, that kind of satisfaction of relief is short-lived. The reality is, vengeance is the Lord, not ours. And I've heard of cases where a drunk driver has killed a woman's son, and the woman actually is forgiving the, 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 the person who committed the crime there on the spot, understanding that to, to n- never that they're going to forget of what happened and not to say that they're not going to go through grief of, of having that, that member of their family lost, but they understand that harnessing that hate, wishing that that person died too, wishing that that person suffer uh, 10 times over because of what they did to their loved one, that's not going to bring any kind of uh, peace into their heart and their life. But it's to release that person, is to forgive that person. As hard as that may be for us to do with the Holy Spirit, it is possible. And again, it's not to brush over some wrong that's been done to you, but to understand, to, to harness that, that anger and that hate. It really does not give you any kind of peace or satisfaction. You'll walk along life embittered and upset about things because of that unwillingness to forgive. The reality is, in every circumstance, only Jesus Christ can truly satisfy one's soul. Okay, the second main point is this. Anger and rage clouds your judgment. Surely, if these men were not consumed with rage... They would have realized that taking an oath to not eat or drink until they had killed Paul, that wasn't a great idea. That wasn't something that you wake up and say, you know what, hey, this is what we got going on. We're not going to eat or drink until this person is obliterated from the planet. 
They were, again, blinded by their anger and desire to hold on to their former way of life. This was what was driving this conspiracy, was the fact that they did not want to budge. They wanted to live the way they wanted to live, unhindered by someone telling them this was wrong and you need to change. Because Paul threatened their lifestyle that they weren't willing to give up, they decided instead of them needing to change, they were just going to kill Paul. Anytime our perspective is consumed with anything other than Jesus Christ in the sense of we bring things to him. Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation? How will this affect me? How will this affect other people? We, we, we look to him to give us guidance, to give us wisdom in, ev- in any and every circumstance. Whenever we don't do that, on the contrary, we will act irrational in some way, shape, or form. An example is this. You guys all know the high-speed chases, right? Um, what do, I, what do we watch? So me and Veronica, we, we really like watching Live Rescue now, though the seasons, they need a new season coming up on A&E. But there was one before that. Uh, they took it off the air. It was, one, it was with the police. Live PD. Live PD. We were, I mean, we, that was our Friday night go-to. I mean, we set the DVR if we couldn't watch it because, you know, somebody was up wilding out and, and we would get to watching that. That was our show. But it, it always boggles my mind when somebody's trying to get away Either they stole a car, they're DUI, hit and run, whatever, stole something from somebody, they're trying to get away. Where do they think they're going? How far do they think they're going to get? I mean, you can't get that far. They got helicopters, they got satellites. I mean, even if you cross state borders, where are you going to go? They're going to get the next state involved and you're going to be done. Um, The only way you're going to get away is like if you were in the movie with Russell Crowe three days later and they have this whole elaborate conspiracy, uh, you know, a plan of how he's going to get his wife and his son out of there, you know, because she went to prison wrongfully, this and that. It's actually a pretty good movie. There's a couple of bad scenes, not good words, but uh, for the most part, it's a good movie. And uh, that's the only way you're going to get away. That's the only way you're going to get away. But, but, the, but the logic there, that's the same thing as these men. We're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. That wasn't a very well thought out plan and it's not going to go so well for them. Just like a high speed chase. It never works out when we allow anything to consume us more than the Holy Spirit. And in this case with these men, they allowed their anger and their rage and their frustration, that passion for that, the lust to see someone deceased took over their general common sense and it bit them in the end all right the third main point is this we are to trust god to use the methods and means that he chooses to accomplish his purpose i truly believe that sometimes some people fail to understand what trusting god really means because you'll have situations like this some christians will say i have cancer But you know what? I'm going to choose not to see a doctor because I believe that the great physician will heal me. The reality is this. Yes, that is true because ultimately healing comes from the hand of the good Lord. He's the one who heals. Likewise, it's also true that he has methods and means to do so. 
Many times he works through human hands. That's how he likes to move. He provides people and he equips those people to work through the situations for the task at hand. And in our text today, we see with Paul that probably the most unlikely person was used to help aid Paul to get through this situation on to the next. It was a little boy. He was used to alert the Roman authorities of this plot against Paul's life. This little boy was a key contributor to Paul accomplishing his purpose in the Lord. I'm sure, again, if you take a moment and look back at your own life, you can recall specific people who you never expected God would use to accomplish his purpose in your life. You think of maybe uh, a homeless person and how, you know, you went there to minister to them, but you got something far greater than whatever you gave that homeless person, whether it was humility, a different perspective, God opening your eyes about how his uh, his never-ending love encompasses for all people who are willing to submit and repent. There's many different ways how God will use unlikely characters to speak into your life and to bring truth and revelation to you where you are at. Okay, let's go ahead and look at these verses and we'll start in verse 12 and it says, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. I mean, that's a diabolical plan. That is diabolical. That is a straight scheme. That is a setup to catch somebody slipping. This is just crazy. After the little conversation that he had with the Sanhedrin, again, we see that things just got heated up. I mean, it ratcheted up a hundredfold right here to the point where he had to be taken away for his own safety. But again, it wasn't just the Sanhedrin that Paul needed to be concerned about. This is very interesting. As the history of the Jewish culture reveals, in those days, in the days of Paul and Jesus, there was a secretive group of Jewish assassins who targeted the Romans and their supporters. They were called dagger men because they often concealed daggers in their cloaks or their their robes and they would stab Roman soldiers as they walked by. Back then, it was called a walk-by, not a, not a drive-by. You didn't even go in a car and drive-by. That was a walk-by back then. Again, just like Ecclesiastes says, nothing new under the sun. I mean, that's crazy, right? They're probably, you know, somebody's kicking it like this, chilling. They're talking, you know. They see the Roman officer come by, and then they just pull out some, and they, and they stab them. That's, that's, that's intense. That's a very seductive way to... To, 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 to get someone and cause someone harm. But this is a common thing back then, and this is what they did. These were the people who were plotting Paul's downfall. If you've ever... I'm going to go back to these. I don't know why we're... Me and my wife are into these, like, you know, 
emergency response, uh, you know, uh, police chase. But uh, if you've ever watched any, if you've ever watched any kind of prison reality show, um, I won't say if you've ever been to prison because I, I, I don't think anyone here has been to prison. I may be wrong, but uh, you know that kind of lifestyle when you're in those close. Uh, close contact with people and you got to fend for your life every day and you don't know if this is the last breath you're going to take living in a in a penitentiary cell this is what you would call a shank right and and, and like in prison you can imagine back then they could make a dagger out of just about anything wood bone metal anything that you could shave down or melt down into a shop a short uh, sharp excuse me pointed object could be used as a weapon. So, so, and it would inflict much harm. And also the fact that you have some disgusting animal bone that you shave down, that thing, especially back then, it's not sanitized. So you're stabbing somebody with some unsanitized lamb bone or pig bone. Well, it wouldn't be pig bone because Jews don't eat uh, pork, but any kind of animal bone. And it's ripping into you and it's ripping back out and it's causing infection. And, you know, I mean, they, what did they have to, 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 to help disinfect? Vinegar, that's probably about it, which would sting and burn and hurt like heck. But you could imagine this is what this was what was going on with these men who were called dagger men. But it it wasn't just the fact that a, a secret group of Jewish assassins were out for Paul's head. It was a it was the fact of the oath that they made to ensure that he died. We have to not miss this. They, they were so zealous for, for Paul's death that they made this vow to not eat or drink until Paul was killed. This was an extreme high level of commitment. This is like Navy SEAL commitment. I mean, they were, they were in it till the end. There was no way they were going to renege on this, this, this promise to shed Paul's blood. It was obsessive to say the least. These men lack nothing in commitment or zeal, but their zeal was not according to knowledge. And this is very important uh, to not miss because Romans gives us a clear indication of, of people, unfortunately, that, that do this even today. Romans chapter 10 verses 2 and 3 tell us, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The application is this. Zeal and devotion by themselves never prove that somebody is right with God. There are many today that have a zeal and a devotion to Jesus Christ. But the question is this. Are they obedient? Are they obedient to the call on their life? Are they obedient to the will of God? Do they follow after how the Lord would have things be done? Or are they taking matters into their own hands in the name of God? This could be kind of tricky to to, to pinpoint. But again, like I've said before in the past, you need to be a very good fruit inspector. And you need to be able to look at the fruit that's being produced. Remember, 1 Paul chapter 2, verse 23 tells us this about Jesus. Sorry, excuse me, 1 Peter. 
My, maybe I need to start wearing glasses. I don't know if it's the sun and this i this iPad's like blinking in and out. Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting too. Maybe I'm dang, you're very good. Maybe I'm getting too into the message because I. Okay, First Peter chapter two, verse twenty three. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, "When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself." to him who judges justly. Meaning that when Jesus was abused, he didn't go abuse back. That means if you look at our own lives, that means when someone lashes out or you or me with cutting remarks, we don't strike back in that same manner. How many of us can say that we walk in this manner? When someone comes at you with an antagonistic way of being, and it's cutting and it hurts. And it's like, where is that coming from? It's coming from left field. I thought we were cool. If you're a married couple, you kind of know where this goes because it could be that little sly, sarcastic remark where you're like, really? Have you seen that Snickers commercial with that couple and that lady sitting on that couch? And I don't know what, it, what, what, the, I don't know what the conversation was, but you could tell she was not happy. And he just looks... And he just turns around, hey, I'm going to go get the Snickers with the brownie. But it's like, right, that's, a, that's that same thing of that, that just that, that sarcasm, that slyness that a married couple will get because you know that those kind of things go on. But what the word is telling us is when that happens, how do you respond? Do you respond and just get super frustrated and, ugh, I can't stand him. I can't stand her. I don't know why they act like that. Or do you know, maybe not woosah, but whatever you got to do to get you in that frame of mind to let the Holy Spirit kind of calm you down and see, you know what, hey, it's, it's okay. They're okay to feel how they feel. It'll work out. Just kind of don't, don't, don't add on to it. Don't make it worse than it needs to be. We should be able to say, yes, we do live like this. We do live lifestyles that reflect when someone's going to come at me, I'm not going to just lash back. But as you can tell, some want to fight fire with fire. But I don't see that in the life of Christ. He met unfair treatment and harsh criticism with humility and love. He understood that fighting back the flesh with the flesh would only perpetuate more ungodly behavior to flourish. This is what the Jewish assassins failed to understand. They believed that killing Paul would solve their problems. But again, it wasn't Paul who was their problems. Their own hearts and their false way of thinking was their biggest problem. They thought that they would be satisfied by no longer having to hear Paul speak the truth that they didn't want to accept. Again, immediately our, our, greatest, our greatest example comes to mind. Jesus comes to my mind. He spoke the truth. And what happened? The religious leaders rejected it. They rejected him. They wanted nothing to do with him. He was such a threat to their, 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 their current way of living that they had to eradicate him. They had to get rid of him. Even though we all know in the, in the overarching scheme of things, in God's infinite plan, in his perfect plan, yes, Jesus Christ had to lay down his life so sins could be forgiven. It's too complex. I don't understand it. All I know is... That's the way it happened, the way it played out. The Jews, they couldn't stand it. They had a murder. That's that. There's so many examples. It's just a trip. I mean, look at Stephen. <laughs> the same thing. He spoke the truth and 
There's a bunch of stones right there. Pick them up. Chuck them at him. Chuck them at him like baseballs till his head splits, till his melon splits. That's what happened to Stephen. Look at Joseph. Even though, again, we see the dysfunction in the family, the fact remains the Lord spoke to Joseph. Brothers couldn't stand it. Sold him. Daniel, thrown into the lion's den. Same thing. Unwilling to submit to the king's rules. Only pray to me. Daniel said, no, I'm going to continue pray to the living God. He was thrown into the lion's den for living out his faith. There's too many people to name, but countless people in the Bible were either killed or threatened to be killed for speaking and living out the truth. The common theme here is their aggressors truly believed that they would enjoy life more with them gone. But just like anything else that we pursue and chase after other than Jesus Christ, it's all folly and chasing after the wind. Next, we see that this shadow group of assassins, they suggested to the commander that Paul be brought down to the council as they were going to make some further inquiries excuse me, concerning him. They basically, again, wanted to catch Paul slipping. They had set him up, and this was how it was going to go down. They were going to bring him in, and as they were talking, they were just going to ambush him. If there was 40 of them, I mean 40 to 1, I mean, you do the math. It, it's, it's not going to be a good look. He was going to get stomped out. It was, it was going to be bad for Paul. The assassins wanted the chief priests and the elders, this is very important as well, to lie to the Roman commander, pretending that they wanted another meeting with Paul. The lie. It was their lie that was the sin. And men who should have been committed to the law of God were instead happy to sin against him. They were willing to lie and to sin to accomplish their own supposed godly goals. This is never a good thing. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 pretty much sums it up. And it says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who blessed forever. Amen. The reality is this, ultimately, because they were willing to carry out this lie and this plan to have Paul be murdered, it showed that they really didn't worship the true and living God, but rather they actually worshiped themselves and the power that they were given. We spoke about this last week, I do believe, about the abuse of authority and how uh, many times the Lord has to take people out of positions of authority because many men do not know how to wield it correctly. They do not they do not administer it fairly. They do not use it in a sober manner, but they become intoxicated with this influence that they've been allowed to use, and they use it for selfish gain. They were irresponsible with the authority and the influence that had been given to them, and this is a clear indication because they did not reject this plot to kill Paul. Okay, let's look at the remainder of our verses this morning, and it continues on in verse 16. And it says, Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask 
you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush of him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till, they, till he is killed. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. So the first thing here is we see that Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush. This was, this was no accident. This was no dink that, that this happened, right? God had to protect Paul because Jesus had promised that Paul would go to Rome to testify about who Jesus Christ was. We know that this is the case. You can read it in Acts uh, 23, verse 11. Paul had committed no crime, but yet he was a prisoner because the Roman commander suspected that he might be a revolutionary of some kind, right? We, we understood this several weeks back. Paul had to be kept in custody until the facts of the case could be discovered. But this was a way of preserving Paul's life in order for Paul to move from where he was at on to the next phase of God's purpose for his life. This is very important to point out because, again, God's purpose for Paul would go forward, but probably in a way Paul didn't even expect. He was going to evangelize Rome, but as a prisoner? Wow, Lord, okay, I, I didn't see that coming, but, but this is obviously the means that you've provided for me to be used to give you glory. Not the way that I would have figured the Lord's plan would unfold for Paul's life. The application is this. The reality, as we know, is the Lord's ways are not our ways. And it is through suffering that we become more like Christ. It is through adversity. It is through the trials of life that we are shaped and molded and formed into the image of our Savior. And that's just, that's just what we signed up for, right? That's just what we come to learn and what we come to understand in the Christian life. Uh, there's, there's an example I have. Somebody sent it to me years ago, and it's like your plans. And it shows this little stick figure on a, on a bicycle and, and, and a checkered flag at the end. And, and the road is just straight and smooth, right? And then on the bottom half of the picture, it says God's plan. And it's the same stick figure on a, on a bike and the same checkered flag at the end. But I mean, man, there's dips, <laughs> there's valleys, there's, there's, there's all kind of water and, and travail and, and rockiness. And, I mean, that road is not smooth at all. And if you look at your life, and if you look at the life of Christ, and if you look at the life of Christ's servants all throughout the Bible, Nobody had a smooth path. Everybody had hard times, right? And so for us, I think it's a matter of not necessarily embracing the hard times, but embracing Christ all the more in your hard times. Understanding it is not trivial, but it is the reality. You're either coming out of a storm or about to go into a storm. That, that just is what it is. And, and that, that's, that's why it's so important to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life and to be in God's word and to constantly be in prayer and constantly be in fellowship with him because you're going to need him to sustain you in those difficult times. When you do have those brief moments of this is a mountaintop, oh my goodness, there's not even no wind, the sun is perfect, nobody's yelling, nobody's arguing, 
man, you praise God all the more for those moments because you know those moments are fleeting, right? And that's what the world is chasing after. Everybody's chasing after. I, I, gotta have, I, want, I want that carnival cruise life every day of my life. I want to be on that top slide that goes down all crazy. I want that Disney World life every day of my life. That's not reality. And people chase after that, and some people obtain it, and only to come to the point where they realize, I'm unsatisfied. I got all the Ferraris I want. I got all the women I got. I I got all the men I want. I got all the drugs I want. I got all the clothes I want. I got all the degrees and accolades I want. I'm at the top of the, the corporate world. But I'm empty. I'm hollow. I have no, I have no real substance in my life. There's nothing that, there's nothing that undergirds who I am. I'm still questioning what is going on in my life. I thought all this money would make me happy. You got all this money. You're living in a pandemic. You can't even see people. You got to see somebody with a mask. You know, again, that's where Christ comes into the picture. Let Christ fill that void in your heart. You're going to be okay. When you look at Paul's life, you could only imagine if Paul didn't go through all these trials that he did, he probably wouldn't have walked as close with the Lord as he did. The Bible is crystal clear that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. All this also speaks to people having an ordained time on the planet to live. The Lord will make sure that his purpose in your life will be fulfilled before you leave this earth. Psalm chapter 66 verse 8 and 9 tell us, Bless our God, O people. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept your soul among the living and has not let your feet slip. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Isn't that a beautiful security blanket to know that it's the Lord who's keeping you? Every one of your steps is directed by the Lord. It is the Lord alone who ordains our days, our steps, and our time. We can't claim that we have control or how long we will live. The Bible is clear that it has been appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. We didn't decide when we were going to come into this world, how we were going to come into this world, what we were going to look like, what race we were going to be, what parents we were going to have. And we're not going to determine when it's our time to go. The reality, again, you can exercise every day of your life and eat well. And that's good. You should take care of your body. You should not abuse your body. But that doesn't mean that God's not ordained you a time to die. That's just the reality of it. For the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Next we see, the Lord uses the most unlikely person in this scenario. Paul's sister's son. This young boy was in the right place at the right time, and it was not by accident. Not only did the boy overhear the plot to kill Paul, but he responded in the right way. He alerted the proper authorities so Paul could move on with the mission at hand. He didn't hear it and get scared and say, I don't know what to do, I'm shivering in my boots, I don't know who to tell, I'm just going to keep it to myself. He was calm, collective, and he did what needed to be done. Not only that, but you see God's hand all throughout the situation. The Roman officer, he didn't need to listen to this boy. He could have been like, you gnat. 
want to hear what you got to say? You're a child. You're telling me somebody's conspiring to kill this man. He's a prisoner. He listened. How did he listen? God put it upon his heart to listen. That man did not have to listen. He was, I mean, you guys understand the Roman soldiers and how they were and what they dealt with. You have to listen to this pee of a boy. Who are you? You're nothing to me. But he listened because the Lord orchestrated all things to work together for his purposes. Sure, the Lord could have sent the archangel Michael to just carry Paul away. But instead, he chose to use this little boy. Again, we see the humble ways of Jesus Christ accomplishing his purpose. The application is this. We must be aware that the Lord will meet our needs according to his will, not ours, in the most unlikely ways. I have an example of this. So, you know, the week, it's been a week for us, you know. Uh, Tirza got sick Tuesday, uh, Tuesday in the morning and, uh, you know, in the early morning hours. And her fever finally... Well, it was still, it, it was 100 yesterday, but she got better, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon. All through what we were dealing with, we had to take her to the emergency room. The, the, as crazy as it was, I was telling Lou earlier, I'm like, man, my faith is super weak. I'm over here frantic. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. My wife is super calm. I'm over here crying. I'm like, don't take her in. I don't want her, them sticking nothing in her, this and that, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, but when we got there, of all the resident doctors that were there, it was a, pediat- a pediatrician that was there, a pediatric doctor. I took that as, okay, Lord, you foreknew all this. You knew she was going to get sick. You knew she was going to come to this Kaiser Santa Clara. And you had that doctor there specifically to tend to her needs. And again, just like this text, the Lord providing a means in an unlikely way. Yes, did it suck? Did we get sleep? No. Was it difficult? Yes. But was the Lord in it with us all the way through? Yes, amen, amen, and amen. And that that is the reality that we have to understand. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be very difficult times in your Christian walk. But the fact remains, Jesus Christ will be with you every step of the way. Trust in Him. Embrace Him. Don't revel in the in the calamity. Don't don't definitely don't curse him for the calamity. Don't thank him for the calamity. Thank him that he's with you in the midst of your struggle and you will be all right. The problem with many Christians today is that they fail to understand that it is through adversity that the Lord molds and shapes us. You cannot become more like Christ without it. Remember Jesus Christ is far greater than your circumstances. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for just this humble reminder that you are with us even in the midst of, uh, of the craziness of this world. For Paul to, to, to have more than 40 men wanting to stab him to death, Lord, but you provided a means of escape through this young boy who caught wind of this plot and it ultimately saved Paul's life so he could move on to the next phase that you had for him. Lord, you're just a good, good God. You are always faithful. You will see everything that you have for us on to the end. We just have to take hold of your promises and believe that you are who you say you are. If Jesus Christ defeated sin and death and raised himself from the dead, then you can do anything. You've conquered it all. So, Father, may 
our lives, may the faith that you've given us reflect that belief. May we truly believe that you are who you say you are and that you will provide for us every day. Your mercies are new. So, Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.